Come in, Ocean Sailor. Come in, Ocean Sailor. The Ocean Sailor Podcast. Brought to you by Ocean Sailor Magazine and Kraken Yachts. This podcast was recorded during the coronavirus pandemic. All participants adhered to social distancing and coronavirus guidelines at all times. Hello, you are listening to Ocean Sailor Podcast with me, Dick Durham, and with he, Dick Beaumont. Hi, Dick. Uh, glad you've made it through the uh, severe weather to the studio. Brilliant, eh? Yes, what you might describe as a winter without the wonderland. <laughs> yeah, four, four centimetres of snow in the UK shot, of course. But I'm more going in the Billy Connolly camp, and uh, his thing was there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes. <laughs> but today out there, it's pretty, pretty chilly. Well, I'm sure it is, and uh, whatever Billy thinks about the weather in Scotland, I hope he uh, hope he tuned into our last podcast because it, it seems everybody else did. Yeah, it's a bit amazing, eh, Dick? I'm very, very impressed uh, with the amount of people that's listened to us. It was exceptionally good. And, uh, yeah, good good stuff. Well, I mean, I just as well we're not on telly, otherwise people would want to rush up and touch our oil skins, or not that you can at the moment. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure that uh, we might get to that level, Dick. No. But uh, anyway, yeah, good. Possibly not. But anyway, um, of course, um, we are going to talk about climate change. Um, I mean, every yachtsman has uh, uses tactics to deal with weather, but weather has a strategy called climate. And we can all agree that's changing. The rain might not be wetter, but there's more of it. Storms may be no stronger, but they're more frequent. Polar ice caps are carving. Sea creatures pop up in the wrong place. Now, scientists say they have evidence that it's, it is man-made, whereas internet comers say it's a conspiracy. But whether yeah. it's Whoa. a skewed axis of the world or a surfeit of axles on the road... We're here to discuss the effects. <laughs> the puns are getting worse, mate. They're getting worse. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, what we'd like to talk about, isn't it, Dick, is uh, uh, climate change and uh, and how it affects sailing because there's been some dramatic effects, I think, um, to uh, sailors' planning and, and so forth. So, we can, you know, let's get sort of straight into it, I guess. Well, why not? I mean, I know that you're convinced that it is it is man-made, Dick. I mean, what, what, where's your, what's your thinking behind that? Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced it is. Um, when it happens that I was uh, in my earlier trading years in uh, China a uh, fair bit. Uh, China's, of course, very much uh, in the news these days. But in those days, uh, I first went into China in the early 80s. Uh, it was a very, very different place. And uh, if you flew in, um, it was an amazing thing because you'd fly into a massive city like Guangzhou um, and you thought you were landing in the countryside because there were no lights. If you go there now, the whole country, the whole, not just Guangzhou, but every city is lit up like Las Vegas. And so I think obviously that's had an effect. But the particular thing 
um, that I noticed in the times that I was there is when I was there in the early 80s, in October and March, March was pretty well the end of the winter season and the steady season, the northeast monsoons, um, you could see uh, the stars and the sun every day, clearly. Uh, it, but, and that pertained right the way through to probably about the mid to late 90s, and then it started to change. But the facts of the matter are, if you go to China now, or actually any time over the last 10 years, you won't see the sun over 95% of China. You won't even see the sun. And unbelievable though it might sound, actually Chinese tourists are going to places like New Zealand on stargazing holidays because they don't see the stars in China. And my belief and the things that I've sort of tried to, uh, uh, in my own mind, splice together, is something that I saw occurring through the industrialization of China, which is a huge smog and a blanket that sits over China uh, and the mainland. And, of course, it's one of the biggest landmass, it probably is the biggest landmass in the world. And it was the landmass that generated the northeast monsoon and the southwest monsoon. Um, and those monsoons are, are dramatically changing. Yeah, right. So, so that's down, down to... Well, my, my thinking on it is this, that there's a kind of a thermal blanket sitting over that huge landmass. And if there's a... Th- created by the emissions and the smog and the carbon dioxide and so forth, and that uh, if that's the case, then it's not warming up or, uh, or cooling like it was. And so, uh, of course, that's what's caused. That's it's the warming of the land and the cooling of the land in the winter that was causing the northeast monsoon and the southwest monsoon. So this really is a kind of local greenhouse effect. Yeah, but it's not so local. I mean, I I sailed out there for many many years in, in the whole region, and the north. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let let me explain. The northeast monsoon from China affects everywhere right the way right the way down as far as Thailand uh, as far as Indonesia it's covering a huge huge area and to give you some idea you almost were able to set your watch by when the northeast monsoon and the southwest monsoon uh, would start so dick tell us what is a monsoon. We don't get them in Europe, do we? No. It, well, it's a, it's really an established weather pattern. Um, people think of the monsoon as rain. Yeah. It's not actually rain. It might be raining. The southwest monsoon uh, in the uh, uh, South China Seas uh, is a very rainy and a very stormy season. Um, but uh, the monsoon really is just another word for season. Um, and uh, the, the, the difference is, and this is kind of the critical thing, as I said, you could almost set your watch by it. Let's go this way. 23rd to 25th of April uh, to the 2nd or 3rd of May is when the uh, monsoon would start, and that would be the southwest monsoon, the summer monsoon. But because of what I believe is happening in the land over the landmass of China, just, just yeah. on that. Yeah. So, what causes that? That's caused. That's the what, land. What was traditionally causing that? The, the China landmass warming up, right? 
creating massive convection and bringing in strong winds. Right, okay. The, to, to go through the... Because cold, the sea's colder. It, nothing to do with the sea. It's the, okay. it's the land warming up right. that's creating the convection. Right. And the opposite is the northeast monsoon, which is the land cooling down, creating uh, the wind patterns that drop down and the density of air in the high-pressure systems that it was causing. And, this, and the, south, the southwest monsoon is the violent one, and the northeast monsoon is the steady winds, the one we actually like to sail those oceans uh, and those areas in. But now... I can tell you it's not unusual for the southwest monsoon, for example, to start as early as the first, second, third of April or as late as middle of May almost. No, really. um, and, and that monsoon is created by warming up. The one that's cooling down, the northeast monsoon, that's actually even more displaced because there's this thermal blanket over it and it's not cooling down. So you find that the um, northeast monsoon is now starting much later and the southwest monsoon generally is starting much earlier. And since it's the southwest monsoon that creates all the disturbances, the storms, the typhoons, or the, which is what they are in that area, you've got a much longer season that's occurring um, that is susceptible to severe weather. Okay, so um, yeah, is it not? Can't we just adjust our diaries? Is it? it, it yeah, well, you? yeah, of course we've had to. I mean, yeah. the, the the facts are. The problem though is a different one, because not only, uh, and this is really where we get into how it affects sailing. Not only is the monsoon seasons are they changing, but also you've got a lot more uh, extreme weather occurring out of season and out of area. The mons the typhoon areas, uh, and a typhoon, a cyclone, and a hurricane is actually the same thing, just different geographic areas of the world. They sit and, and occur and have been occurring for millennia in uh, certain regions. And for example, you will, until recently, you would find uh, virtually no um, typhoons occurring in the South China Sea uh, below 10 degrees north. Right. But here's the, here's the kicker. I've been caught twice in the last 12 years or 15 years uh, in those areas Um by typhoons that have formed, one a forming type uh, typhoon when I was sailing from uh, the Philippines to Kota Kinabalu, and I was at nine degrees uh, nine degrees north. So you know, obviously the typhoon hadn't read the book and didn't know it wasn't supposed to be there, and 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 it was also in the month of April, which is generally not considered to be uh, within the monsoon the monsoon season, southwest monsoon season. But yeah, I got caught and hit uh, on the way to uh, Kota Kinabalu in April with a ty uh, forming typhoon. And that was before my days of having satellite communication for grid files and weather. So uh, yeah, it was just, it, we didn't know what was happening. We, we knew it was getting worse and worse and worse. We'd left land, we'd left, we'd gone. And this was just with barometer 
dropping. I yeah, guess. it was watching the barometer and the hydrometer um, and seeing the sea is getting heavier and heavier. Um, and the funny part of that story is that uh, we got bashed for about 36 hours. We were a pretty short crew. Um, and my mate who was uh, on the helm at this particular time, I was down below doing some nav work. He shouted down, hey, Dick, it looks like we're out of it. I said, oh, great. Why is that? And he said, oh, he said, we got clear sky. I said, oh, fantastic. And I came out the companionway, looked up, and straight away was horrified because I was in, I knew we were in the eye of the typhoon and there was just blue eye looking down on us so it meant that we got it all to come again and we got bashed again for another 36 hours trying to get out the other side of it and um so that was the that was kind of the first time uh, that i got caught but much more recently about uh, six years ago i was sailing from uh, new zealand to uh, hong kong um and i was up in micronesia and i we were sitting in this beautiful uh, atoll just uh, not far from Chuk Lagoon and um, we it planned to stay there for three or four days and but as I did now I had satellite uh, communications and I had the grid files so I downloaded my grid files for the area that I would normally look at and right out towards the east, I saw the grid files, uh, the, the isobars were all on the grid files, were all close together. I thought, well, I wonder what that is. So I then dialed in and got the next forecast over in the geographical area over. And right in the middle of it, quite clearly, there's a cyclone coming. All right. Um, so a typhoon, actually, as yeah. it was called there. Oh, yeah. um, and... Uh, I went, what I did is I, I went ashore, and I mean, this was at seven degrees uh, north, so I'm quite a long way out of where that uh, typhoon belt was expected right. to be. Right. Um, and I'm uh, also, we're in March, not even in the season, right. but there's no, and you kind of double check, you know, you know, like, that can't be, that's, yeah. no, that's definitely a cyclone or a typhoon. So I went ashore and told the village, and uh, um, they'd got a they'd got a link actually. The the village elder had a link, and he said, "Oh yes, we've seen it coming too." And, and of course, and what I decided to do was uh, bugger off and keep in front of it. Yeah. Um, but that poor atoll must have got absolutely smashed because the highest thing on it was three three foot out out the water, a meter out the water. Um, and then, so we up sticks or up anchor, <laughs> should say, and and then um, I, I thought, well, I, what I'll do is I'll carry on trying to get out of its way, and I could see it was coming straight to, straight down towards me, um, and we stayed about 500, 600 miles in front of it. It was forecast to then go north, but it didn't. It carried on, uh, carried on a straight line. Um, and uh, and then I thought, well, okay, I'll go to the next my next part. Can't stop there. Moved on again, just keeping you know, that kind of distance in front of it. Um, and we had planned to take a, a curve and go up uh, north to towards Yap because Yap was out well outside the typhoon belt as was was expected. Where is Yap, Dick? Where is the Yap's Micronesia? It's on the end of Micronesia. 
Um, but I decided, no, no, I didn't fancy this. It didn't look like it was going to start swinging north. So I went uh, south a bit to uh, Palau, and it went straight through Yap and decimated Yap. It was the first uh, typhoon that had hit there in 20 years. So it's, there's no doubt in my mind it, it is big time changing. Right. Um, and I think uh, we're lucky, you know, humans have got the technology to keep in front of these things a bit and satellite communication and being able to down, download grid files will hopefully um, help people avoid, you know, really running into trouble. This is, a, I, I mean, my only experience is, <laughs> of a typhoon is reading Joseph Conrad. Uh, And he he described it this way. The morning was fine. The oily sea heaved without a sparkle. And there was a queer white misty patch in the sky like a halo of the sun. A crosswell set in as the glass started to fall. A dense bank of cloud became visible to the northward. And it had a sinister dark olive tint and lay down motionless and low upon the sea, resembling a solid obstacle in the path of the ship. It gives a nice picture, but it doesn't give you any sense of how big it is. Well, no, it gives a nice picture written on a page. Uh, A typhoon coming your way is a very scary thing. And and to be honest with you, you're not sitting about, you know, writing some notes up. You're thinking, I've got to get out of the way of this. I mean, we're talking... What speed are they coming in at? Well, it, it will vary, but and that's what kind of catches you because generally it can be moving at 10 or 15 miles uh, an hour and it can drop to five or six. It can drop back on itself and bite you a second time. So, and these storms are big. I mean, I don't know if people generally appreciate quite how big they are, but it's not unusual for this. That that particular storm um, up in Micronesia there, that was about 800 miles across. Hence my reason of staying five or 600 miles in front of it. But a big, big storm, a Category 5 big storm can easily be 1,000 miles across. Um, and you're talking about wind strengths. This was a Category 4. Biggest is a Category 5. Um, and super typhoons, I think that they're occurring much more now. Right. Um, and that would be Category 5, a super that'd typhoon? Be a, yeah, still be a 5. It's a 5 plus. So there's kind of no limit on the wind strength that that oh, can really? be. But the wind strength of a Category 4 is only 100 to 120 miles nautical miles an hour. So you can just do... I mean, you're talking about 15-metre, 20-metre waves. Asparagus, yeah. You know, it's a serious thing. And, and frankly... You know, most uh, most yachts, most pleasure yachts are, are not going to be able to deal with... Uh, it, you're lucky if you get through that. Right. And, of course, stuck in Micronesia with a, no more um, sort of uh, protection than a sandbank of a metre high, right. there was no place to stay. So, yeah, I, I got out of it. Now, Dick Beaumont has been telling us a lot about his many experiences running away from typhoons in, in the Far East, Dick, and uh, what hair I've got left has been raised around my ears. Um, but, of course, we can portray ourselves as the angels of climate change because we're sailors and we use the wind. Yeah, Dick, and I think that's a, you know, a really good point um, because when you're out there sailing, 
across oceans. Uh, there's such a symbiotic relationship going on with the crew, yourself, the yacht, uh, the ocean, the weather, uh, the whole thing. You can't ignore. Uh, you can't ignore uh, all of those issues and then just you know uh, not be affected by them. And certainly, I've been. And I think that. Amongst uh, sailors, whilst maybe we can't climb, claim the highest of grounds in every case, but I think amongst sailors, uh, the key word being sail, I think uh, a lot of people are very concerned about uh, trying to do the best they can to alleviate the, the pressures of uh, global warming and climate change by you know, living uh, and operating in a way that uh, reduces their uh, carbon footprint. And... I think for me, the word is sail, and what better way can there be of still travelling this world using the wind? We hear an awful lot in cars these days about hybrid drive, and it's this wonderful thing, there's this hybrid drive. Sailing boats have had hybrid drives forever, haven't they? Because we got we cut out our engine whenever we can and we sail. And that's really the way to go. And everybody everybody that's got a sailing boat desperately wants to sail. And I think that's a very key issue here. I would agree. And the, and the other thing is, of course, that uh, like you and I and many young kids now today coming into sailing, uh, they learn without an engine. They're in dinghies. They yeah. use all power. Certainly, certainly how I did, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that is the best way to learn on the, on the surface of the sea with only the current and only the wind that you get to... You get wind sense from that, don't you? Yeah, you do. Uh, and I mean, the the thing is, if you're if you're trying to sail somewhere, and um, rather than to for me, and we get asked at Kraken quite a lot about hybrid drive systems I just mentioned, I'm going to tell you to buy a really good set of sails, and I'm going to tell you that you, you you need a rig and a set of sails that can utilise every wind and every direction from about five or six knots through to about 60. And hopefully don't get me more than that, mind you. Um, and, uh, and of course, the thing is, these, you know, people still want to see the world. But the problem, I think, you, you'd have to agree, is everybody wants to see the world by virtue of getting on a jet plane. And everybody's got this terrific dilemma. Ah, oh, I want to go and see that place. But, oh, that really, I know it's bad. I know I'm doing a bad thing. But with a sailboat, what could be better? You don't even leave much of a wake, let alone any carbon footprint. No, it's true enough. And here's the point, really, Dick. You know, talking of sailing, as we are, I think you've got uh, a very good uh, friend of yours, uh, Max, who's going to join us shortly. And uh, he's got some very uh, uh, unusual uh, ways of uh, sailing about the world's oceans. I think that's absolutely the case, dear old Max uh, Lieberson, uh, and he's going to be our new feature, Hello Sailor. Will Here we, we go. Will we bring so, in an, uh, an interviewee uh, or someone else to talk yeah, to? Yeah, Hello Sailor. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for lending us your ears. We do appreciate it. Um, if you want to read any of the stories in Ocean Sailor magazine, and there's now a year's worth of magazines packed with, I hope, useful information, we're pretty certain it is useful, um, all of the articles that have appeared in Ocean Sailor magazine are available in our archive, which can be accessed at oceansailormagazine.com.
Well, thanks for that, Dick. I found that actually very interesting. And I hope one of these days that I'll sail the South China Sea. I don't suppose it'll ever happen now. But anyway, we know what's going to happen if we do. I think I can see a gaff sail on the horizon. Yes, it definitely is a gaff sail. So it's got to be Max Lieberson. Dick, you're in charge of very high frequencies. Do you want to give him a call up? Yeah. Wendy May, Wendy May, Wendy May. This is Ocean Sailor Podcast. This is Ocean Sailor Podcast. Ocean Sailor Podcast. This is Wendy May. Coming through loud and clear. How can I help? Hey, uh, Max. Yeah, really good to hear you. Let's go to Channel Podcast. <laughs> Roger. Listen to the nag. So, Max, welcome to Ocean Sailor Podcast, and thank you so much um, for answering your radio. <laughs> Usually on Channel 16, mine's switched off. Um, I should I should tell you tell listeners a little bit about Max Lieberson. Max is a sailor extraordinaire in as much as he's done he's crossed the Atlantic four times, three of those on his own solo, uh, in very unusual boats. The first, a fifteen hundred pound ferro cement thirty eight schooner and the second uh a trapper 500 uh, so both very cheap boats but gone a long way in them he's written a couple of books uh and he's also lectured various yacht clubs around the country yeah well welcome welcome to the podcast max and uh, thanks very much for coming on you are our very first guest very <laughs> honored position that you know <laughs> thank you very much i'll try and be but he won't well be the last <laughs> and, it won't be, and it won't be his last appearance either, I'm sure of that. Oh, good. Uh, good seeing you, Dick. And you. Yeah, well, we're all uh, we're all trying our best to, uh, I bet you are as well, Max, to remind ourselves that there is a sea and we do still have boats. I think uh, uh, Wendy May's down in Portugal, isn't she? Yeah, that's right. I'm uh, chewing my heart out trying to get back down there. But, yeah, uh, aren't we all? We're white dragons in Turkey, you know, so... and. Dick's the only one that can go and at least stroke uh, <laughs> Betty too, because <laughs> she's nearby. But um, I guess I guess that brings back to probably the subject that we also want to talk about, which is that it behoves us as people that live in that environment and uh, something I've described before as a kind of a symbiosis that exists within sailors and crews on open ocean. You can't live outside of the weather, the sea, the whole environment. You be, you have to become yeah. part of it. And yeah. I, think it then, I think it then behoves us, doesn't it, to uh consider our carbon footprint and whatever is the is the cause of it i think we all really uh need to as as sailors in particular in particular not exclusively we need to consider um how we can best uh reduce our impact and uh and our carbon footprint and that's that's the subject i want to get you on to because i think mm. you've exemplified that in how you've sailed across the atlantic uh on four occasions and a point that we hear and see an awful lot about hybrid drive systems on cars and vans and lorries even um but actually our sailors um, with the emphasis on sail, we had hybrid drive before 
anybody else before it was even thought of we've yeah. got hybrid drive on every boat well on more or less every boat and i know you've eschewed the advantages of or, or the use of power on your boat sometimes and uh, so tell us a, about your several crossings where your minimum use of uh, the engine or zero use of the engine i think the point i want to make is you've got a sailboat sail and i know you have <laughs> oh thank you for that uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. It, it wasn't always through um, choice. Um, my <laughs> biggest, my biggest uh, sail without an engine was 53 days from Karakou uh, in the schooner Gloria. But that was, uh, the engine was, had lost all its oil pressure and was just about to seize up. So I took the, I, had, I took the propeller off in Karakou. Uh, and, yeah, uh, that made it a bit less efficient, the engine, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was better for sailing, though. <laughs> it actually gave up when it gave up and took the prop off. Yeah, it was just it was a big prop as well. Like, you know, it was an awful lot of drag. And uh, I had a, a, I think it was a 50-watt uh, solar panel to produce electricity. And that was it. And uh, I, I'm so glad I did it because my father was sending me a message saying, uh, knock a hole in the boat, I'll pay your plane flare back because he was so worried about it. And uh, one of the locals tried to give me an engine. I said, why are you going back, Max? I said, well, the engine's put. He said, I've got, I've got, I've got to have an engine you can have, man. <laughs> I said, and these guys got nothing, you know? And they were trying to give me an engine. That's, that's the generosity of those kind of people. You went from Kerriaku to where? Falmouth was first off. Ah, ah, yeah. Well, uh, that's a fair trick. <laughs> well, she was she was a bit. She she was uh, thirty eight foot on deck, and she weighed sixteen tons, and <laughs> she was a bit difficult to stop once you had it going, like you know, and a bit difficult to get going when she was stopped. You know, <laughs> so I didn't want to go into any place like the Azores or uh, Bermuda or anything because you know. That's where the, the, the hard part was. So I just kept going until I got to Falmouth and dropped anchor. And, and, you, and then you sailed into Falmouth, under sail, and dropped your hook, and you were there. The rest you could manage by towing her yeah, about yeah, a bit. Yeah. yeah. But haven't you sailed four times across the Atlantic without using an engine? Dick tells me a story about you having an engine strapped down with leather belts. I don't know. Yeah. What's the... <laughs> Those ratchet straps. That was the Gloria. Cause... Oh, ratchet. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot of ratchet straps. <laughs> but um, that, that voyage taught me so much. And um, the experience of being part of the sea was just unforgettable. And I wanted to do it again the next time in a, a 27 foot fiberglass boat. I did the next uh, uh, transatlantic trip on that one. And it didn't have an engine. Uh, but I never carried much fuel. Uh, I, I used 40 gallons of fuel in the whole trip from um, Portugal to back to England uh, over the course of 10, 10 months. I didn't plug into shore-based electricity Till I got back to Falmouth, uh, to um, sorry Plymouth, Plymouth where I landed. Um, so it's you know people people talk about uh, self sufficiency and going green. Well, that's the greenest as I've ever been. Um, I didn't use a washing machine, didn't use a television. 
uh, everything, every bit of electricity I made with the solar power. And you should say, Max, where you went from in that 27-footer and to? Well, we, we left from uh, Thorick Yacht Club in the Thames and right. uh, went, went to Portugal where I'd been doing a bit of boat building and I had all the equipment. And I right. used the equipment to build a proper rudder for the boat because she had one of these dreadful spade rudders. And um, I, I don't trust them for doing any open water sailing. So I made a transom hung rudder with carbon fiber and a, a, a skeg so I could have a bottom bracket and give her a really solid rudder. And with that, I, was, I, I could put a trim tab self-steering gear on it. And with that, I, was, I sailed single-handed from Portugal to um, the Caribbean via the Canaries, Cape Verdes. And it was a nice sail, a really nice sail. Just in that one, just, just on that leg, Max, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. I mean, fantastic achievement. And what I love is, here's a guy, you know, in one sentence has redesigned a production boat because he, he thinks he's got better ideas, and he did have, and he proved it. But you went to, uh, to the Cape Verdes, Max, and I'm wondering if, was that because you found that the trade winds had altered? Those, those winds followed the book. Right. More or less. It's, okay. it's the old, if you look at the, the wind, um, uh, what do you call it, compass on the chart. Yes. Yeah, 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 the, yeah, the, the wind roses, the, yeah. The wind atlas. Yeah, the wind pilots. That's what yeah, I use all the, the time. That, that followed it. And it's the same with, with, the, with the trip. If I can go back to the Gloria trip. Please um, do. When I told my friends I was leaving Karakou, there was a lot of... Um, well experienced. One of the most delightful parts of sailing um, to these far off places is the people you meet. And there's people like um, uh, Paul Erskine Johnson and uh, famous name. name yeah, there's people like that, and they're, they're more than willing to pass on this this wonderful knowledge that they have. And Paul Johnson said to me. Uh, I, before I left, I had a, a lecture from him on his boat. And he said, do not cut the corner. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll be tempted, but you do not cut the corner. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, you got out the chart. You can see the, where the big high sits in the middle of the Atlantic. He says, you have to stay west of 60 degrees uh, west longitude. And until you get up to about 40, <clears throat> 40 degrees, 42 degrees north, where you'll find the westerly winds. If you cut the corner in a boat which has no engine, you, will, you might run out of water because it, you, right. you'll find a flat calm and stuff. And uh, it's not exactly where you don't want to be. I did the last trip, I was surprised that the, the Gulf Stream current wasn't as I was expecting it to be. Yeah. I made a point of, I did with, with uh, Sarah, the 27 foot glass fiber boat, boat, which sailed on virtually no wind at all. I did cut the corner with that one just to see. And um, the wind was very, um, was a bit fluky and chopping around all over the place. But the main thing was that the current, the Gulf Stream current wasn't consistent down there. It was like in fingers. One minute you could be in a current and getting a couple of knots with you. And another minute you could be 
it, it would break off and you'd have no current or even worse, you'd have a bit of current against you. That was quite shocking to me. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I want to pick up on that because I sailed down uh, the east coast of uh, South Africa and the game there, <laughs> notwithstanding the fact that the Angulus uh, current uh, flows uh, north-south and uh, so you're sailing with it, but yeah. bad weather is coming up south-north. And yeah, the fearful thing there. is to get yeah <laughs> the, the fearful thing is to get caught in the Angulus current uh, yeah. in a storm. And believe it or not, if you notice, if you look on the charts and the notice to mariners, that will tell you you can expect uh, standing seas of twenty meters. Oh, I mean, goodness. yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but anyhow, the point isn't really that. The point is that. Uh, when I sailed down, everybody told me, oh, yeah, well, the game is to pick up the Angulus current and sit in that. And how you find the Angulus current is by using one of those guns with a temperature, or obviously you can drop a thermometer in, and yeah. then you see the the, the, the um, current is a lot warmer than the ambient uh, temperature of the sea around, and, and you know you're picking it up. But we had a hell of a job finding that, and we the most we picked up as a benefit from the Angulus current at that time was about a knot and a half. But it was supposed to be flowing at, at four and five knots, and was almost expected to be like a, a road that you right. would come twenty mile out and off the coast, and you'd be picking up the Angulus current. But it wasn't there. And when I got to when I got to uh, South Africa, I was talking about. They took a lot of local uh, yachtsmen, and they noticed a big variation in the uh, Angulus current um, over the last ten years. So I think that's yeah. another. Um, yeah, and I think you didn't you say something about that, Dickie? Yes, I think uh, what Max experienced bears that out, and that is, I mean, the kind of received wisdom is because of the the polar ice caps melting, more fresh water is coming down, uh, especially down that coastline, and is pushing. Is either is either kind of weakening the Gulf Stream or is or is making it change direction, and it sounds very much like what Max was experienced with, you know, once a knot or two with you, then it then it drying up, then it coming against you. Sounds very much as though it is being watered down. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. Well, I think it brings us back to the point why it's been great to have Max on is that you know he has found a way of sail of of traveling the earth uh avoiding the one thing that i th i do believe doesn't matter how kind of uh, thick skinned people are i think everybody feels a certain amount of responsibility of getting on a, 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 a an aeroplane uh and traveling off to parts of the world you know, as a tourist, and obviously the, the the obvious thing to say here is that the best way of travelling the world, even if it wasn't from an ecological standpoint, has got to be a sailing boat. But then if you, but the real issue, and this is the one I think we would like to make most strongly, if you've got a sailboat, then you need to do that. You need to sail. And yeah. you need to spend your money 
on decent sails that allow you to harness the wind from, you know, really five or six knots of wind and upwards. And that's yeah. what, you know, that is what we're very focused on, on trying to do. And I mean, it happens that despite the fact, and this is not like trying to try and make this a sales point, but it happens that, um, in Kraken yachts, uh, against most of our competition, at maximum sail, she's she's carrying up to fifty percent more sail um, uh, as a maximum, and that yeah. just simply means you can because everybody's all worried, aren't they, all the time, Max, about storms, yeah. and of course you should be, but <laughs> if you haven't got sufficient sail area to sail the boat. And then, you know, you're going to start, obviously, as you've done, accepting that and standing for very long passages. What's wrong with that? It's about the, it's a, it's about the voyage, not the destination, after all. And uh, our sail areas are, are bigger, which means that um, boats can sail down, utilising anything from about five or six knots of wind and keep up a reasonable uh, distance. And I think that's, a, you know, there's other elements, of course, um, uh, which I think you've touched on too, uh, Max. There's other elements of how we might reduce our carbon uh, footprint uh, when we are on board. But the game has got to be, the main way has got to be to, to use the element of hybrid drive that we've got, which is the, the sale element of it. No, I totally agree with you. And uh, can I just say that um, if you look at, uh, I was just reading a book recently uh, called Down Channel by, what's the, the author called? Mom? R.T. McMullen. That's the one, McMullen. Yeah, and if you look at the diagrams on those boats, they carried a tremendous amount of sail because they didn't have an engine. And uh, we've moved away from, because of our engine, we've moved away from being able to carry as much sail as you need to be able to do if you're relying more on sail than on engine. So I think it's, it's very encouraging that a boat builder has gone back decent amounts of yeah. sail on. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely, I mean, it's a, that's a hugely valuable point that Max is making there because it almost makes you realise that we've become, the sails have become auxiliaries, not the engines. Yeah, most of the boats now are motor sailors by the yeah, definition. Right. Um, yeah. uh, what's it called? Morris Greffin's definition of a motor sailor is a boat that will make the same speed under engine as it can carry in sail. Yeah. Well, that makes most That's interesting, actually. I bet people don't see it like that, Max. <laughs> no. Wouldn't I mean, have been on a brochure, would it? <laughs> <laughs> Every time we set sail, we are offsetting our carbon footprint. <laughs> and I thought, in, Mac, in Max's case, he's doing it for all of us. <laughs> so, so I salute you, Max. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well done, Max. Uh, there's, there's other elements. Uh, as well that I think can all work together and that is um, you know whilst you're living on the sea and sailing the seas you can also be fishing in yeah. a pretty a very invited I don't know do you do much Max fishing as you go along yeah it's one of my my greatest delights is eating the fresh caught fish yeah yeah Dorado's right up there with the oh, best eh? <laughs> gorgeous gorgeous yeah yeah absolutely gorgeous Ladies and gentlemen, please support us by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, because this gives sailors a bigger bite of the apple. 
I mean, you've plenty of pussycats on there. There's plenty of vintage cars on there, but there's not enough boats. So let's get them on there. Thank you very much. So anyway, I'm going to jump in here. Uh, I'm not going to go overboard, but I'm going to jump in because I feel it's only fair that we should give you a plug, Max. Oh, excellent. You've written two books, The Boat They Laughed At, and also 53, The Singing Yacht. They're both available on Amazon. I know, I know you are also available for giving uh, talks about your extraordinary exploits, and you can be contacted at Max Lieberson at yahoo.co.uk. That's M-A-X-L-I-B-E-R-S-O-N at yahoo.co.uk. Yes, thank you. Need it. <laughs> While we're on the subject of plugs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I don't want to pull the plug on your story, Max, but you do have a story about a plug. <laughs> so, well, I bought uh, Gloria. She weighs 16 tonnes, and I could never, I could never afford to have her hauled up out completely out of the water. So I dry, dried her out everywhere. And um, we were halfway across the Atlantic, having left the Cape Verdes, and it, the wind went flat calm. So we went swimming. And I dived down underneath the boat, and it was the first time I ever had a good look at the bottom of the keel. And halfway along the long keel was a sort of a bit of a depression, and it didn't look right to me. I've got a mask on, snorkeling, and it don't look right. So I put my hand in, and it got a bit cloudy, you know. So <laughs> I was just about to investigate further when one of my fun-loving shipmates flushed the head. And a big brown cloud started coming towards me. So I, 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 I stopped investigating and got out of the water pretty quick. And I didn't really think much more about that little depression. And when we got into the um, uh, Caribbean, we moved around various engine, uh, various uh, anchorages. And I discovered the, the wonderful anchorage on, of Tyrrell Bay in Karakou. And the boat just laid at anchor there, doing nothing very much. And I, I started dog walking to make a make. Uh, I got paid in beer money uh, in beers, <laughs> walking this guy's dogs. So every morning I would go and walk the dogs. As the year went on, the time for leaving was rapidly approaching. And um, after an early morning dog walk, I came back on board the boat and discovered that Helen, my then girlfriend was uh, manfully manning the bilge pump, the big double action bilge pump. And she was saying, I can hear water running and I can't get the pump to suck. So I opened up the boards and yeah, certainly there was a, a good flow of water coming in. So I put a mask on and dived over the side and I went straight for that little depression I found in the keel and I put my hand in and it just kept going and going and going. It didn't stop. And then a fish swam out. <laughs> so I realized I had a problem. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Hang on, hang on, Max. Hang on, hang on. Just let's reel back. So if I'm getting this right, you've just sailed across the Atlantic and then lived on board for how long <laughs> with a bloody great hole in the bottom of your boat filled by teams yeah. mud? Is that about it? 4,000 4, miles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, six God. months. 
I went ashore and saw my friend Paul, and he, he run the, the, the local uh, boatyard, and they were hauling out for hurricane season. So they had all boats standby to be hauled out by the big lifter. And uh, I told him what the problem was. He said, oh, and he said, that's a really bad timing, but we'll get you out. So they towed the boat in because the engine wasn't working, hauled it out, jet washed it off. And then Jerry, Jerry came along and uh, stuck his hand up in the, in the hole, brought it out and said, yeah, that's definitely Essex mud, Max. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. So I don't know why, why nobody sort of building boats out of Essex mud. It sounds like it's a, yeah, yeah, maybe you should carry maybe you should carry a bucket of it on board in case you do get another hole somewhere else. And uh, yeah, you yeah. can always because I actually I carry a, a like a two-part epoxy that sets underwater in case you know you get some form of collision or damage um, and I carry like yeah yeah and so you I, I dive as you know so i you know uh, you can mix it up and uh and, and push it into a hole and set it's worth carrying but i think i think uh, essex mud must have been the early forerunners of two-part epoxy putty it's, all, it, it's also a lot cheaper because we've got the greatest expense of mud in Europe off the map. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to leave it there with you, Max, uh, let you get back to trimming your sails. Well, um, what we're going to do is uh, feature one of your stories, I think, um, in the next uh, Ocean Sailor magazine that's coming oh, out on the 1st of March. So uh, I think Dick's going to uh, be giving you the third degree again, and uh, <laughs> uh, we'll look forward to reading that account. It's all very good stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, that's brilliant. OK, Max, well, I'll be in touch a bit later on, and we'll, we'll I'll be glad to hear your story. Um, all right. And uh, you'll see it in Ocean Sailor, dear boy. Magazine. Fantastic. Well, keep up doing the good work. <laughs> so, hey, Dick, um, what's uh, coming up on uh, in Ocean Sailor magazine uh, this month? Well, we've been sweating it out here in the editorial. We've got a terrific article actually on diesel bug and how to how to get round it. Um, we are covering uh, diving in the Scilly Islands and many wrecks there, of course, uh, and. And we're, as well as our regular features. Um, but anyway, plenty to absorb uh, as we approach the sailing season once more here in the Northern Hemisphere. We're also doing piracy and uh, we're starting a series on piracy because there's quite a lot going on around the world at the moment. And um, I think you're also going to be involving in that guns, is it, Dick? Yes, guns on board, isn't it? Uh, because... As you say, piracy is on the increase, uh, attacks, especially on the west coast of Africa now, as well as the famous Somali on the eastern side attacks. Uh, and of course, we've got the probably rather sad, uh, sad account of, uh, which happened many years ago now, but Sir Peter Blake, probably the world's most famous shotsman at the time, was shot and killed by pirates in the Amazon. Uh, I yeah, his and, widow. and that, that opens the subject of should you carry a gun on board or yes. shouldn't you? And yeah. we're going to try and get, uh, aren't we? We're going to try and get uh, some varying viewpoints on that because I think uh, there's there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. It's not straightforward, the guns on board no. issue. No, no. Um, so uh, I've certainly got my views on that. There's places, I've never carried a gun on board, but there's places no. I wished I had. 
Um, but it, as I say, it's not a simple issue. So that would be uh, interesting. And, and I think we're also going to follow up uh, on today's podcast um, and, uh, and do an article about, uh, a perhaps more in-depth article, about uh, climate change and how it affects sailing. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot in it. Last month was 52 pages. It was a very big... Uh, big spread and of course this uh and we're still maintaining that there's uh there's no advertising um and uh it means we can stay impartial doesn't it as i know you're very keen to do yes indeed uh i think it's a brave move on your part <laughs> to to have the magazine running without advertising because i think it's certainly worthy of it but uh, so far so good no advertising i mean bearing in mind looking back over the years yachting monthly the readers would, you could never win with this issue because they'd ring up and say, oh, it's all advertising. And I'd say, well, hang on a minute. If you counted the editorial pages, which actually never really altered from about 88, as I recall, I said, it's thinner. You're right. I said, it's thinner because there's less adverts in it because advertising is well, drying up. Is that right? So, the, so yeah. the editorial content has remained the same, has it? Yes. Yes, pretty much. But they still yeah, like yeah. a thick magazine. They, they whinge about adverts. But they, I said, well, you shouldn't whinge about it. It's it's all ad, it's all editorial now. It's just thinner. Yeah. You're not getting as much paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting to compare uh, pages of content uh, in the major mags, uh, Yachting Monthly, Yachting World, um, and Sail, and see how Ocean Sailor stacks up. I, I, you know, with with 52 pages as was last month, I would have I'd have thought uh, we got to be up there. And of course, we're also trying to focus on the issues concerning more specifically around blue water sailing rather yes. than general sailing. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, it, it's, I think, I, I mean, Ocean, you know, Ocean Sailor magazine has now got subscribers from more than 75 countries around the world. That's pretty uh, well, good going in 12 months, eh? It, it's, it is very good going in 12 months. I don't think anyone would dispute that. And the fact is it's sitting there already online. It looks like a, a hard copy magazine as you would look at it online, but it, there it is online. Yeah. And you just have to click and you get it. And it's great. You know? And it's actually, it's more accessible than even the, some, of the, uh, some of the online editions of the hard copy existent magazine, extant magazines. Well, the iceberg of fate has thawed enough to fit into the gin and tonic of destiny. So it's bye-bye from me uh, and goodbye from Dick. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, we look forward to uh, you joining us on the next podcast.